Well, let's go before the Lord in prayer as we continue to worship God through the word this morning in our sermon. Pray with me, church, as we go before our great and wonderful God once again. Father, we are just so thankful to gather here today to have our hearts aligned with your word and with your direction for our lives. Help us to be able to, each one of us, Lord, would you move in ways that each of us here today might submit to your word and to your direction and that we might think thoughts that coincide with your great revelation in the Bible and that we put aside thoughts that contradict that, that run into our lives every single day. Would you work in ways even this morning uh, to move and help us uh, to submit ourselves to what you've revealed? We say this in Christ's name, amen. Well, here's the thing about God's providence. We all know that God rules and sustains everything all the time and that he has a plan. We know that from his word. But you see, isn't it easier to observe the details of his plan on the back end of our life experiences than on the front end? Because from our perspective as created human beings, of course, we aren't God. We don't know the end from the beginning, but, but he does. So it would make sense that on the front end, sometimes things could be a little bit less clear for us. But this new sermon series titled Wonderfully Created from Psalm 139, and our VBS that just so happens to be starting this very evening, that Sharon and Angel have decided to take our children and students through this theme of the sanctity and value of human life, uh, through creation from the Answers in Genesis VBS. This coinciding, and by the way, all the decorations in this room um, that, that were provided for us, the big decorations from a, a Rancho Baptist Church in California from a pastor friend who saw that um, we were gonna be doing this VBS and asked if, if, if we wanted their big posters, and I said, of course, and, and they, I offered even to uh, provide for the shipping and things, and they just generously gave it to us. I had no idea preparing for this series on Psalm 139 that these words would be behind me when I preached. And uh, I had no idea that this shirt would have Psalm 139 on it either. So it's neat to see God's providential workings and rulings. And even a month ago, we had um, our uh, creation speaker from um, Creation Ministries International. He came and he spoke on this very theme of God's miraculous creation. All these things seem to be coming together really nicely for First Baptist Church. Providentially, it seems perfect timing, especially now in light of the Dobbs versus Jackson decision just two weeks ago in the overturning of Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Overturning of the almost 50-year legalized holocaust of pre-born image bearers of God. Church, don't forget this. Over 60 million Babies have been legally aborted in our nation since Roe. 
terminated, murdered, killed. Since this infamous decision almost 40 year, 50 years ago. This decision is not only biblically unthinkable, as we know from God's word, these decisions go against the very constitution itself and the Declaration of Independence that famously promotes the unalienable right of life for all Americans. But instead, sadly, the Supreme Court then decided to uphold the continued unthinkable slaughter of innocent pre-born babies. Not only in Roe in 1973, but also in Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992. Those of you who were with us this past week in our teenagers' ministry, we had that luncheon, if you remember, and we watched a few uh, encouraging videos in light of the 4th of July holiday on the Declaration of Independence. And as we may recall from that, these are great truths that were upheld by forefathers of our nation that were in large part uh, directed by a biblical worldview. And sadly, all of this just was somehow forgotten during the last half century of legalized abortion on demand. Unthinkable. But thankfully, and I say really, really thankfully, church, the recent Dobbs decision, the Supreme Court justices in 2022 got it right this time, praise God, and overturned the unthinkable decision of the past, sending the issue of abortion back to the individual states instead of this unconstitutional practice of the last almost 50 years of legal abortion nationwide. I think that this decision, church, should cause all Christians everywhere to praise God, to thank God, to rejoice together unashamedly, unabashedly, unreservedly, even, and this is important, while we offer gospel hope to the many men and women, and and odds are in a room like this, based on the statistics, maybe some who are here with us today have had or promoted an abortion in the past. Our hearts go out to you if that describes you. And I want you to know, as we're gonna be seeing through the series, that the gospel provides hope and forgiveness to repentant uh, sinners who turn to see the error of their ways. Even those who've committed murder, like King David, who just so happens to be the author of this very psalm as we are going to be seeing today. And in light of all the suffering and pain associated with this topic of abortion, it's hard. I just look out and I can see it's just hard to even hear this topic because of the world that we're in. And, and in light of that, I want to say that Christians should, I want to repeat this, rejoice in Roe being overturned. But so sadly, in a confused world that we live in, that has now been steeped and discipled in the wrong way in almost 50 years of a culture of death and abortion where abortion now has been normalized. It's just seen as a normal outpatient surgery, out of sight, out of mind. It's just so accepted. It's so just believed in our culture. 
And sadly, I've been finding the last few weeks even that many professing Christians seem to be very confused on this topic and have failed to see the overturning of Roe as a good and just ruling that genuinely glorifies God. Maybe this reality of a perspective and thinking describes you here this morning or watching online. If you're here with us and you are a little confused on this topic and are not really sure what to think, I want you to, I want to say to you that I'm glad that you're here. I want you to be here to be able to hear the biblical worldview. I don't want you to feel alienated talking about such deep and hard uh, topics, something that may be unclear to you. I'm glad you're here with us at church. This is a great place to be engaging in these things, even if you disagree with what I've already said, with the sentiment of what I've said so far. Because with all the cultural confusion and the hijacking of the consciences of so many Americans on this and so many other topics today, as a church, as Christians, and me as your pastor, I want to lead us in the reclaiming and the strongly promoting of a biblical world and life view. We need it now in our day more than ever, right? We need this for our children, for our children's children. We need this for our community, for our high school and and junior high and elementary. We need this for our VBS. We need to reclaim a biblical worldview because of the confusion. And if you remember just two years ago, uh, I preached a sermon series through Genesis 1 to 11 that was promoting this Christian worldview, a biblical worldview. Preaching multiple sermons then on the image of God and man, the sanctity and intrinsic value of all human life, the evil of abortion and racism and abuse and other evils in our world, as well as the goodness and the provision of God in marriage and the goodness of gender that he intended And then also the cause of all the chaos in the world that we experience now in the fall of man into sin and all of the consequences that went forward from that. You remember we saw that two years ago, but we need more preaching, not less, on these themes and topics in our day and age. And the biblical worldview does not stop at Genesis. It's founded there, but it's found all over the Bible. So we're just going to go and look at a different portion of Scripture today and to continue that theme that we saw even two years ago, that God created man in his image, that we saw in our scripture reading today. Male and female, he created them with intrinsic value and dignity as human image bearers of God. That is the biblical worldview. We're gonna see today in our first sermon on the series, we will see that we are wonderfully made from Psalm 139 and verses 1 to 14. And then next week, we're going to see that we're fearfully made from Psalm 139, verses 14 through 24. And in order to see this wonderful creation of God and and what he's done, we must first see the wonder and the wonderful God who is the creator. First things first. Let's see that from the passage in point number one, wonderful knowledge. Look with me at Psalm 139 in verses 1 through 6 for this. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. 
You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Do you see from these few verses of Psalm 139 the God-centered worldview of this passage put forward? This beloved psalm that so many knows about, it could be one of the most popular psalms in the Bible, does not start with his wonderful creation, but with the wonderful creator, God. Did you see that? David first points us to God, not man. We need to get first things first. God is preeminent. God is the only reasons that humans, me and you, and all the humans throughout the history of the world, have any value to begin with. God created us. It's because God is so great and how great and wonderful and exhaustive his knowledge is that we have value Because his plan and his purpose and what he does, that goes, doesn't it? That sets the agenda. That sets the worldview. That sets the thinking. That sets our hearts and minds. It sets how we should respond to things. Whether we should rejoice or or be, be righteously angry. It should be set by the great God who's revealed himself to us. His nature, his character, his being, his person. Notice here that the passage shows us that God is not just all knowledgeable of all things everywhere, but that his knowledge is personal, personal to you and me. Every one of us in this room, there's a personal knowledge that he has for you. This is amazing. Not just theoretical stuff. God knows all things. Yeah, we we know that. No, he knows all things about you and me. He knows us intimately. Our very thoughts, says the passage, God knows. Wow. Our daily activity, says the passage, God knows. Or at least it's so clear that David sees that God knows these things about him. Not only what we do, but why we do what we do. Amazing. God also has predictive knowledge of the future because he's God. He's providentially even caring for David with his hand on him, as the passage says. What a wonderful, personal, clear knowledge of God that this passage puts forward to us. That was David's view of his God. Is that your view of God? Do you see God as a big and glorious God like this? That knows even your thoughts and your plans and your steps, knowing everything about you because he is sovereign and omniscient and he knows all things? Do you think about God that way? The commentator Derek Thomas put it like this. He said, any small thoughts that we may have of God are magnificently transcended by this very psalm. Are your thoughts of God small? Is he out of sight, out of mind? Do you ignore him? You think he doesn't really see and know, and you think he's not really there. What do you think about God? If your thoughts are small, 
Let Psalm 139 transcend over your thoughts. Let Psalm 139 cause you to think wonderful things about a wonderful God and to see his wonderful thoughts, to see his personal interest in you as a human being, image bearer of him. Because it's true, he does take interest in you. And that means that you have intrinsic value and that there is sanctity of life because you were known and created and purposed by God. It's because I am. Isn't it amazing that he's taken interest in us? Humans that are so far lesser than him, we don't know all things like him. We're not on the same playing field as God in that way, but he's created us in a unique and special way to image him, to reflect him in ways. What a wonderful God he is. What a promise-making, covenant-keeping God he is with human beings, not with any of his other creation, but with us. He's personal. He's, he's, He's for you. He has a plan for us. He knows everything about us because God has spotted you out. If you're a human image bearer of God, if you're here, he knows you, he sees you. He's got a personal plan for you. He's acquainted with David's ways, but he's also acquainted with your ways, with my ways. He knew David beforehand, but he also knows you. Even before you speak a very word from your mouth, he knew you before your birth and he has a plan for you in every single image bearer on this earth. And for the believer, things get even more exciting because we can know and take it to the bank that for the believer, he is a blessing and his hand of blessing is upon us for our good as it was upon David for his good. And we can say such truths as what David said here in the psalm about our very lives. And that this is a kind of wonderful knowledge that is too great for David to bear and fully grasp, and it's too great for us because God is inexhaustible. There's no fully searching him out. His ways and his thoughts and his knowledge are so amazing, we cannot fully grasp his greatness. And as we think about this intimate knowledge and plan and purpose that God has for each and every last one of us, isn't it any wonder why I would say that the idea of tearing apart what God created and knows and loves and values is unthinkable, even insane? Is it any wonder from a biblical worldview that, it, that we see it as, as just, it's just crazy, it's foolish, it makes no sense at all. It is unbiblical and it's a slap in the face of our great God who made us and knows us and cares about each and every last one of us. Why would we ever devalue what God so clearly values and knows and has a plan and purpose for? Why? Just think of abortion next to these verse few verses of Psalm 139, 1 through 6. Just think of the contrast. We haven't even got to the part of this psalm that so famously uh, shows us the value of preborn life. But even right here, before we even get to that, what we've seen so far about God's personal knowledge of us, it explodes any worldly view that treats human life as valueless trash to be discarded. And that is what the culture of death treats human life as. We have to say this. We have to put this forward. 
And since, as we've seen in this biblical view so far, we have so much value and worth of God, it means that God has not and does not abandon his people and that he is actually with us, another aspect of who God is, which leads us to our second point, to continue to glory and worship and thank God for his character and who he is. We've seen his wonderful knowledge in verses 1 through 6. Now let's see his, in point number 2, wonderful presence in verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. God's wonderful presence is just another reason for us to start with the foundation of God and not man. Because God can be and is with us everywhere only because he is God. No one shares this wonderful attribute of God of his exhaustive presence, do they? Do we? Nobody does. Just like we don't share God's perfect, exhaustive knowledge of all things, his wonderful knowledge, we don't share or understand or fully grasp his wonderful presence because these are attributes that make God, God. Did you know that he is with you, with us, wherever we go? No matter how big the struggle in our life or how terrible the situation that we find ourselves in, even when we're in trouble or even when we get ourselves in trouble because of our sinful, foolish actions. Hear this, church. Hear this. Even the trouble that happens at an abortion clinic. The passage tells us that even in terrible situations like that, that God is not far from you. Even when you've gone against God and his revealed will in a sinful way or in other sinful ways, you might be thinking and you might be saying that you're not tempted to ever have an abortion and you never were. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've never made this sinful decision in the past. I read a statistic this past year. In the world, in the, this past week, in the, the world, meaning not just in America, uh, I, I read the amount of abortions worldwide. It's like one in, in, in four women have experienced that, have been a part of that in, in some way throughout their, their lives because of this culture of death. This hits us close. So when I mention maybe you haven't, who knows whether there has been that, but, but if you haven't, what other sinful choices have you made? Or what other sinful choices are you making now? No matter where you go, God is there. God not only knows all things, but he is everywhere present or omnipresent. This passage teaches that. Now, that, that is a very terrifying idea. The fact that he knows all things and that he also is everywhere present for the unbeliever is terrifying, for good reason. 
because they don't have forgiveness yet. They don't have the grace of God yet. That's terrifying for unbelievers. But if you're a believer here with us, I want you to be comforted by this reality. I want Psalm 139 to to be a a light post for you to see that God is there no matter what you're going through. Because this biblical worldview means that God is with you in the storms of life, in the suffering of your life, in the heartache of your life, in the trials of your life, and even in the sin in your life in this fallen world that you may get entangled in Whether we live or whether we are on our deathbed and dying, God is there. High or low, God is there. Far or wide, God is there. God is there. God is there with us. Believer, be comforted by that. Even in the darkness, the passage says, the dark is not darkness to God. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that God doesn't see or recognize our pain and dark situations and dark things or even our sinful actions. It's not like he just turns a blind eye to it, doesn't care about it. The passage is not saying that God is naive or that he's simply unknowing of dark and evil and hard things. No, it's not saying that he just kind of somehow zaps those realities away and that they're not there and he doesn't know them. That's not the case. We already see that he's all knowledgeable. What David is getting at here, and he's experienced firsthand. Remember, David is the murderer, the adulterer. David is the deceiver. David is someone who sinned greatly. What David knows, what David puts his trust in, is that God is there, and he is there even in dark places and dark situations and evil things, and he can and does redeem his people from those situations. He redeems us from the... If you are an adopted child of God who has turned to God, you better believe, as Romans 8 tells us, that neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Even your sin, even the darkness, all is redeemed and transformed and given purpose in him if you're his child. Even the darkness of the abortion culture of death. And he can And he does rescue people from that. This past week of uh, preparation for this series, I watched several uh, documentaries, read books, and even watched a movie. And the movie that I happened to watch was about the redemption of God in dark places of the abortion industry of all places. Uh, In the 2019 film, Unplanned, The true story of Abby Johnson was documented. Abby was a director at Planned Parenthood who had two abortions herself before becoming a distinguished director of an abortion clinic in Texas. She counseled many women on what she saw at the time as a virtuous, legitimate option to terminate some pregnancies through various forms of abortion. She was a counselor first, and then she became the director of the abortion clinic. And it was through the patient and loving witness of believers praying for her and others at the abortion clinic that would come, and even befriending her, and I believe, as it relates to our passage, even 
because of this wonderful presence of God, even in dark places, reaching really, really dark and hurting and broken people, it was through all this that she was delivered from a culture of death and even became a strong pro-life advocate afterwards. I commend the film to you uh, as, as an encouraging uh, testimony of God's grace and work in dark places. The ministry that was most reaching her uh, is a ministry called 40 Days of Purpose. It's been around for some time where many spend all day around the clock for over a month, 40 days, praying and fasting and caring about the great loss of life and hurting women and families and at the abortion clinic with the hope, with the prayer, with the pleading to God that one day the clinic would be shut down and be no more. And that's exactly what happened in this situation in the Texas abortion clinic where Abby once worked after she had left. It shut down. It is no more. No more babies are murdered there. Documentary read, read watched this week, titled Babies Are Murdered Here. That, that's, that's what's happening at an abortion clinic. At that abortion clinic that she was at, No more babies are murdered there. Praise God for that. And others in that ministry have went on, including Abby, to help many other abortion care workers to escape the culture of death at Planned Parenthood and even leaving their careers that they've been in for a long time. Oh, that we would be encouraged to see more and more of that follow suit after the overturning of Roe. This should excite us as Christians. Darkness is not too far from God. Amen? Darkness is not. Deep, dark, painful, terrible things is not too dark for God. He reaches in and he redeems and changes and rescues. Another compelling example is from a former abortion doctor. Anthony Leventino, who conducted himself over a thousand abortions in his life, and after adopting and then tragically losing a young daughter in a car accident as he held her in his hands. The next time he was at work and he was performing an abortion, he realized at that point the repulsive nature of the act of tearing apart preborn babies limb from limb and repudiated what he used to love and pursue and make a career out of and, and, and promote. He repudiates the murder that he once did. And I heard him on an interview this past week and he looks forward to seeing his daughter who passed staring into her eyes one day. But he's also humble. And weighted down by the reality of the 12,000 plus eyes that he was a part of murdering himself. God reaches into dark places and changes hearts of people that are in darkness. Oh, that God would do more and more of that. Because God is working in these ways because he's a wonderful God with wonderful knowledge and wonderful Presence, there's nothing we can do that can escape him. He reaches in to all these situations. Wherever we go, he is with us. He is wonderfully present with us always. And rescuing us from our sin and 
struggles and there for us, but he's also there to transform unbelievers from dark places. He's there because he's a God of redemption. And only a big God that does miraculous things could make those kind of differences and transformations. Think of your own life, how God reached into your life and transformed you. Let that encourage you. If he could transform you a sinner, he can transform anyone a sinner. We don't look at people that are going down paths of wickedness as if they are unreachable. No, God can reach them. We would be them if it wasn't for God's grace in our lives. Do you see that? We would be them. We would be them. Now, after seeing God's omniscience, an omnipresence and his wonderful knowledge, his presence everywhere. We get to the well-known portion of this psalm that specifically addresses the nature of humanity even in the womb. We've already seen the value of God's character and value of humanity and his personal love and presence of humans leading up to this point even before we got to these famous verses that are behind me. On the stage, well, let's see this in our third point, in our final point this week. And we'll be picking up on next week as well. Point number three, wonderful creation. Look with me now at Psalm 139 and verses 13 through 14 for this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Talk about a countercultural worldview. Do you see what David's putting forward here? Do you see what the Bible reveals? As one pastor put it, God didn't merely see an embryo or fetus in the womb. He saw David. God saw David in the womb as he formed or knit him in his mother's womb. Do you see how personal this is? And David also saw himself as being David in the womb, in his mother's womb, because David has a biblical world in life view. Do you? When you were in your mother's womb, way back when, now you can't likely remember it, or at least probably can't, I can't rule anything out, as even John the Baptist, uh, at least at that one time, leapt in his mother's womb when he recognized Jesus in his mother's womb that we see in the gospel accounts. So I'm not going to put it past anyone, uh, but, but likely we don't remember being in the womb. <laughs> and on that note, my wife, Stacy has such great memory, even back to when she was a child, not in the womb or anything of that nature, but she just got this great memory. It's amazing. I could barely remember back to high school. I don't know where you fall in that continuum. But if we look back at our lives beginning, just like God knew David as David in the womb, and David knew he was David not only the time of his birth, but beforehand in his mother's womb, we must see that this is the only clear biblical world and life view that strikes against the world's understanding of things. We just need to uphold it and see it. See it in the text. See it for ourselves. 
See what God has revealed to us. Listen to that, not listen to the world. This is a wonderful creation. Creation even in the womb. God is intimately acquainted with all the details of who who you and I are from conception to birth. Scripture even tells us that he planned our existence beforehand and had a plan even before we were born. But you better believe that God and his view and the biblical view is that David's existence, our existence as, as persons began in our mother's womb. Did David's mom have a right to choose to terminate and abort and end David prior to his birth? What do you think God would say to that? He'd say, absolutely not. This is a crazy thought that this would ever be okay. May it be unthinkable again, as it should in the future. A crazy, immoral, wicked, murderous thought. It's destroying what God created. That's all, it's what it is. What God created wonderfully even. As he wonderfully made us from the womb. He made David from the womb. He made you from the womb. Do you see how personal it is? And this is part of God's all-powerful, omnipotent work in the creation of human beings. What? A God he is. We are who God made us to be. Marred by the fall and sin, to be sure, as we saw in Genesis. But God intentionally knows us, and even in the fall, we remain image bearers of God. And who we are is important to God. Because he values us and knows us and is with us and is powerful and responsible to actually create us. A wonderful creator, a wonderful creation. Do you see the biblical worldview? Do you see the implications to what we're hearing in our culture, in our schools, to to what you're hearing from your friends or from your unbelieving family members and even from some professing believers? Do you see how this biblical worldview counteracts that. It gives us something different. What are you going to believe? What are you going to submit to? Truths that we see in Genesis and Psalm 139 and Jeremiah and throughout the scriptures and the gospels. And Are are we going to believe the Bible? Or are we going to live and believe in the worldly status quo and cultural beliefs and worldview of godlessness? What are we going to believe? What are we going to submit to? He's a wonderful creator It's a wonderful creation. Now, to be clear, this does not mean that God does not use means in the creation of human beings, for certainly God has created us in such a magnificent way that mothers and fathers are directly involved in our conception and existence, to be sure. This is is clear. But we see here that even in light of all that, that these truths that we know are not to the exclusion of the great, wonderful creator God and his wisdom Presence, power, and plan for us. God is a wonderful God and a wonderful creator. What a wonderful God and worker of creation that he is. All we can do, the only appropriate thing to do in light of these things is to praise him because of it. 
and to repent for ever downplaying or denigrating human life and worth. Repent for all the low views of mankind that we may have kind of taken on like fleas without even ever knowing it. These bad views, these wrong views, these low views of mankind. Repent for the ways that we have maybe minimized the horror of abortion. You hear the topic? Like, oh, well, that, been there, done that. That topic is old news. It's not. It's horrific. Do you feel the horror of it? I wrote the sermon last night while I was looking at my baby boy, Noah, playing on the ground right in front of me as I'm writing. I can write and see over my computer his little head and face and rolling around, getting into different things. Now I had to turn the music down on my, my uh, headphones uh, because the little guy is just putting things in his mouth and this past week choked multiple times. Kind of scary, so I can't just completely uh, you know, focus in here. I kind of got to do a little multitask parenting there as Stacy was putting the rest of them to, better, uh, to bed last night. But I look at my little guy as I'm writing and preparing this sermon and I look at him and I looked at him and I smiled in amazement at the wonderful work of God to create and plan and provide for that little guy. And as I wrote, I was reminded of the unthinkable, insane, horrific practice of abortion. I even teared up thinking about the contrast, my son and the idea of abortion, the practice, as I've been reminded about over and over again in my research and thinking that many preborn baby boys and girls who have been burned alive in the womb or ripped apart alive in the womb or sucked out of the womb to be murdered and discarded as trash. And I think about the 60 plus million legally murdered babies in the womb of our nation since Roe versus Wade, the last almost 50 years. I'm reminded, and I was reminded then, of God's wonderful creation in that contrast of that terrible darkness and those victims of our culture of death. Those victims who, each one of them, were just as valuable as my son, Noah Pelachowski, or all the rest of my children, or your children, or other children, or you, or me. The right response, Christians, to this biblical teaching on the sanctity of life in Psalm 139 is praise and thanksgiving and wonder and awe in the conception and development of preborn babies in the womb and the birth and lives of all children who are image bearers of God. We should rejoice. We should not respond in being okay with the termination, the abortion of preborn babies, not the discarding of valueless junk. That is not a biblical worldview because all life from the womb, like David from the womb, are meaningful and valuable and precious life to God and they should be precious life to us. So that, church, is why we should be celebrating now and into the future the overturning of Roe. Dear Christians, where is your heart? This reveals what you're thinking and believing and feeling and, and actually holding to. We should rejoice. 
for all human beings are wonderfully made by our wonderful God. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for what you've revealed in your word, that you've given us direction, that you've not left us without a word on the various important difficult, ethical things of our world. Thank you for giving us direction and thank you for your providential work even in bringing us here to this point that we've been praying for and didn't even know if it would come. We're thankful for the overturning of Roe. We pray, Lord, for uh, the, the rescue of many, many unborn lives into the future, oh Lord, and that you would make this practice a distant memory into the future as we think clearly and biblically about the reality of of the sanctity of life. Oh God, would you move all of our hearts towards that? Help us to submit to your word, not to our feelings, not to our culture, but to your revelation. Would you move in ways? Would you transform our hearts? Would you remind us of what you've revealed? Would you cause us to repent, follow you? We're thankful for who you are. You are our God. You're a wonderful God. You're a wonderful creator. We say this in Jesus' name.